Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> My mother uh, died. She passed on from uh, this earthly life um, uh, late one evening. Uh, we arrived after, after she had died and after uh, spending, spending a few moments with, uh, with Dad, uh, we all went to bed. In the morning, um, I woke pretty early, considering that I'd been driving uh, the night before, the day before, um, and uh, kind of looked into uh, the Dad's bedroom, and then went downstairs and, and looked around a little bit in the house. He was nowhere to be found. Um, he was an early riser, um, so I thought that maybe he uh, he had gone for a walk. And uh, so I looked out the window, thinking I might be able to catch up with him and and walk with him. Couldn't see him anywhere, um, but he did appear um, about an hour later when the, when the family was stirring and when we were uh, rumbling around getting some breakfast and. Uh, chatting with each other a bit. He came to the door and uh, said, good morning, good morning. And, uh, and I said, Dad, where you been? And he said, oh, I've been, uh, been in the study at church. And, oh, and I thought, what were you doing there? I asked him. And he said, um, I was writing Mom's story. Hmm. And he had a copy with it. It was uh, uh, condensing the story of, of her life. And uh, there was something that caught my eye, and I remembered it again this week. Uh, early in the story of my mom's life was, and she was baptized in the Camp Creek Church in, uh, just outside Atchison, Kansas. And then at the end of the story of mom's life, he wrote, all these things were done because of the baptism and the preparation that God had been doing in her life. Uh, and I've always remembered that because it was so unusual. I, I don't remember seeing that in anyone else's eulogy or story. I think that maybe just this week in thinking about the baptism of Jesus, it came to new significance. Maybe it answers the question, why should we look at the story again? Why should we spend some time thinking about uh, how it grows from uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 42, and, and, and it is something that is coupled with the story of the baptism, why should we look to Acts at the other side of the baptism and Jesus' life and, and hear Peter tell the story of Jesus and, and mention the baptism and the anointing by John the Baptist? Why should we think about it in our own lives? It's that as an, as an event, it's a time, it's a, it's a happening, and it is jotted down, and uh, maybe it is something that we 
something that is checked off in our lives. But yet, I'm coming to realize that it is also a part of Jesus' story. A very important part of Jesus' story. And even we might not be able to tell all its import, all its importance, without telling the story of the baptism. Because all that he did, all that unfolded in his life, was out of that moment of anointing. And it is something that commends baptism to us. The outward sign of a spiritual happening in our own lives. Not only for its significance at that moment, but to help us to sanctify and make sense of our lives as a significant story. My dad knew that. I didn't know he knew that until he wrote that story of Mother. And in reading the things about Mother that I knew all those things already, but but I realized that in my own life now that that he was telling her story. Because God was with her. Because she had received the grace of God in her life. And because that was an orientation and a, and a, and a power and a spirit that, that guided her in her life. Through the circumstances over which she maybe had no control, but also the decisions over which she had quite a bit of control. And most of all, perspective. And whatever unfolded, she was in God's care. So, Matthew gives us a brief version of the baptism. Not as brief as Mark's. But it's just a few verses. And there's three elements here that, that we should notice as we, as we read this story. And they're pretty obvious. The first one is the act of baptism. The act of baptism that that the, the story of Matthew tells us, that Elsie read for us. The act of baptism was a result of, of a bit of a disagreement between John, his cousin, and Jesus himself. The verses before have a longer story about, about John the baptizer and calling for, uh, for people to come uh, and receive this baptism of repentance from their sins, but also their waywardness, also their trespassing, also missing the mark. All those meanings are in the word sin. And sometimes in our lives we identify with one or the other, but they're all things that are barriers between us and God that we have erected and chosen, lived out, sometimes consciously and sometimes not, between our fully fulfillment of our relationship with God. Baptism was, was a sign that, uh, that was used to, uh, to signify, I'm putting to death the old self, and I am rising to new life, cleansed, cleansed and open to the, uh, to the power of God within my life, that I might walk according to his ways, according to his law. 
Also, it seemed like baptism was was used in the culture there mostly for uh, for Gentiles. The Jewish people would not turn to baptism nearly as much because they were the sons and daughters of Abraham. They were chosen. They were in the lineage. They were in the favored line of Abraham. Didn't God say, you are my chosen ones. You are my children. And therefore, just to, just to be in the genealogy, and just to be related, meant that they were okay with God. But others who were seeking after the Lord God to be baptized. And this was a right, part of the way that they could be assimilated into the culture and into into the worship of the Lord God to the degree that was allowed at that time. So that when Jesus comes to John the baptizer, he's doing his thing in the Jordan River, and and John or Jesus comes and says, You must baptize me. It's no wonder that, that John is taken aback and said, What? I I can't baptize you. I've just been talking about you. You are the one who is going to be baptizing with with fire, the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie the thongs of your, your sandals. I, I can't do that. I'm not worthy to do that. And, and besides, what on earth are you doing here around all these Gentile folk and, and sinners? Uh, you are without sin. Your, your, your life is, is blameless. You have walked with God. Already we know that there is something unique about you, Jesus. I can't do this. But then Jesus responds, no, you must do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Uh, What is right with God, or what is right with God at this time and for this situation? Another mother's story I'm going to just insert here. You know, there's many other Gospels. Uh, only four of them appear in our Bible. There's a, a Gospel called the Gospel to the Hebrews. And in this, uh, a Gospel, there's a story about, uh, about this baptism event, and, uh, and it's, it's much more expansive. It talks about a conversation that was going on in the home of, uh, of Mary and in Jesus and his and his siblings there in Nazareth. It's a conversation about John is baptizing down in the river, and uh, and Mary says to uh, to Jesus, you know, you know, I, I think you should go down and uh, be baptized. And in this gospel, Jesus says, I've never thought I needed to do that. You know, it's uh, I'm of the lineage, and and uh, I I am sinless, and uh, uh, you know, that is, would that be appropriate? But yet Mary, I think that this, that this would be a good thing for you to do, Jesus. So, um, so the, the, this gospel tells the story that Jesus says, well, okay, I guess, I guess it could have some other meanings. That there are other things that would be signified by this baptism. This may be an apocryphal story, and we don't know how accurate that is, but it 
but it kind of illumines a little bit more of the of the of the attitude about about baptism and even maybe some of the influences on on Jesus' decision, his choosing to go and be baptized. And sure enough, as as John sense because it is the right thing to do uh, in the presence of God and in the presence of these people at this time in Jesus' life, then two other things happen. Then uh, a dove descends. A dove descends and alights. Other accounts of the baptism says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. But Matthew's Version says that a dove descends, an actual bird, and the lights, lights on him, and uh, it is a sign of the, of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that is that is coming. And maybe if, if we think about the surprise of that, everyone, everyone there amazed and uh, and sensing the glory of God again, and maybe even. Mary, if she is there, she is thinking, oh, this is uh, not a surprise because I was there when the angels were there and I, I heard about them on the, on the hillside and I, and I was there when the Magi came and brought their gifts. I was, I was there when Gabriel came to me and this is just one more, one more sign that this Jesus is unique. That's the second thing, the Spirit of God coming and alighting on Jesus. And then the third thing, a voice from heaven, Matthew says. A voice from heaven. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. A voice from heaven. It is a pronouncement a pronouncement of God, saying, identifying this as the Savior who was to come, the Messiah. Those two, that phrase is the is a conflation of two. The uh, um, the first part is this is my son is from Psalm two seven, and and the second part is uh, is what Chuck read, and uh, uh, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. For all the Jewish people that were there that knew the scriptures, they already knew that. They knew, well, that reference in Psalm is, is a reference to the one that, G, that God will send, the Savior, the one who will represent God to the people, that he will be their shepherd, that he will be alongside them, that he will give them mercy and favor. He will give them grace. And the second phrase, in whom Isaiah's version has, in whom I delight, in whom I delight, would in their minds trigger that whole section that, uh, that Chuck read for us. It is a description, a description of what this servant will do, what, what he will be like. Do you remember some of the things that Chuck read for us? He was talking about, about some of the characteristics and talking about 
some of the things that he would do and some of the things that he wouldn't do. He will bring forth justice in the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make a herd in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. All these things are, are things that are describing what the Messiah will be doing. And so those who were gathered there, especially the, the students of the scripture, especially those who had worshipped week in and week out, all those who had, had longed for the appearing of the Lord, all those that were caught up in the revival of that time and, and uh, listening to the call of Jan, John the Baptizer to come, turn around, be baptized, repent. They were caught up and they, they probably knew right away this this is significant. We are at the beginning of a new age, a messianic age. This is the Messiah, and we have just witnessed his anointing. Evidently, that's what the earliest church saw this too, as, they, as it became part of their story, that the baptism of Jesus was his anointing for his role as the Messiah. And all that his story was, all how it unfolded, hinged on this anointing. It's the beginning part, the empowering part. It's the identification of who he was and what God would be doing in and through him. We baptize people, and in this church there were five who were baptized in the church this year, or last year, 2019. I'm still signing my check, 2019. Oh, ugh. Last year, 2019, five people. And each one of them was holy. Each one of them was kind of familiar because we use the same words. Oh, and there's water again. And... Uh, and there's, there's people that are standing with the one who has been baptized. But yet, each one was unique, too. Because each of the one, each of the people that were baptized were individuals. And each of them were born into a, a context, a situation, a family that was a little, little unique and different. And yet, there is one God and one baptism, one forgiveness of sin, one Lord, one Jesus, who has who entered their life. And in talking with, with those parents of those people that were, that were baptized, we talk about, about the significance of the sacrament. It's many meanings, and uh, in, in the prayer that, that they would be able to receive the delight of the Lord in their lives. And also that their lives might delight the Lord. The idea of delighting is a little better than, than pleased. It's, maybe we are more familiar with pleased, but, but please, in our own culture, kind of that uh, 
connotes that, that we need to earn our favor. We need to earn the approval of, of the Lord God. And we know that isn't true. We know that we live abide in the grace of God, unmerited, no matter what our works are. That our works flow out of, of the grace and favor of God that has been given to us, like the gift of baptism. But delight, delight is something that, that maybe should stay with us as we think about the baptism of Jesus and the baptisms that we performed last year in the church, and maybe your own baptism too. That is, you think about it not only as an event way back there or recently, whatever, whenever that was, but as a time when you were awakened, when you saw the light of Christ, and that also revealed the delight of God in who you are. How God imagined you to be and uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 would, would give us that image. Uh, knowing your thoughts before you thought them and uh, knowing you know, all your tendencies and, and all your quirks and your uh, struggles. Oh, God delighting in them. Maybe the parents that are here today uh, are more quickly identifying with that, with that feeling, with that phenomenon of delight. Uh, maybe you have looked at your children, maybe, maybe when they're asleep mostly, and uh, delighted in their angelic faces, in their, in their, in their cuteness, and, uh, and thought about maybe how they were growing and... Uh, and just gazed into, into their little eyes as, as they are sleeping there or looking up at you and feeling a, a oneness, and feeling a generosity of spirit holding them to yourself, treasuring, cherishing them. A baptized people, that's how God feels about you, about you on your baptism day, but also as your life has unfolded ever since, that whether we acknowledge that or not, that is how God is feeling about you. But I wonder if we're missing something, and maybe is another reason why we how we look at the baptism story again and again. I wonder if we're missing our awakening ourselves into the invitation to, to follow Jesus and, and his the anointing and his vocation that followed as, as a, a savior. And perhaps missing the significance of how God wants to do that for us too. In worship, we about receive a God who calls. Vocation, vocari, call. 
That's a little different than a career. It's a little different than an occupation. They might overlap, but a calling has to do with chosenness. And just like Jesus was chosen for his vocation, and so also as baptized, we should expect to be called for a vocation, a vocari, a calling of God. Frederick Buechner says that uh, a calling is, is what happens in the intersection of, of the world's need and God's gifts that dwell in you. But it's God's spirit, God's delight, that activates that. So that as we learn, as we worship, as we sing, as we pray, we start to understand that there is potential within me to make a difference in the world, the broken world, the world that, uh, that is in need, the world that is, that is so longing to know the goodness of God. And could it be, could it be that God wants to work in me and through me to bring about the same things that Jesus did in his own life. It answers the question maybe that's popped up in your minds already. That sounds good, but what does that mean? What would it look like? Hmm. If we think of baptism again, you think of a, think of a sponge. If you put a sponge in, in water and you leave the sponge for a while, until it is, is completely soaked in that water, you have a sponge that is more water than the fabric of the membranes that hold the water, don't you? We never leave someone underwater long enough to become that soaked with water, literally, but spiritually, we do. The soaking happens as we continue to, to be filled with the person of God in Jesus. With the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. If we use the baptism story to think about, well, God dwelling in me, oh, he's in a closet somewhere off, up to the left, uh, right off, right, right down the hallway. That's where God dwells in me. No, it's more like a sponge, people of God. It's more like his, his being, his spirit, all that he is, soaking, soaking my, my, whole, my whole being, my decisions, my attitudes, my resilience, my outlook on life, who I am with people that are close to me and who I am when I'm people with uh, strangers, who I am when I'm at church and who I am when I'm not at church. Everywhere I live and move and have my being, I am in Christ, Paul would say, which means Christ dwells in me. And so in our, in our living, in our, in our January of 2020, we're invited to, to wake up, wake up in a way that uh, well, it feels like you're being thrown into water and raised again. 
and come out spluttering and splashing. We were talking about that in confirmation, about what that's like, uh, brushing the hair, I don't have hair, out, out, of, out of your face and, and water dripping everywhere and, and thinking, I am, I am more water than anything else right now because I've just come out of the deep water. And we're invited to think of ourselves in that way. Immersed, flooded, soaked in the grace of God, anointed for the calling that God has for each of us. May the Lord add his blessing to, to Jesus' story, but also to our stories, your story, as you think about yourself as someone baptized. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, God, we give you our thanks for, uh, for the many gifts that you bestow upon us. Morning by morning, new mercies we see, and as we... Uh, as we retrace the, the story of Jesus uh, emerging from the festival of Christmas, but using it as a foundation uh, to look for you showing up with, with glory and favor. Uh, we thank you for the possibilities that open up like gifts that are still given to us in the epiphany season. And we thank you for a light to our path. We thank you for a light that uh, helps us to look inwardly, too, at our souls, our beings before you. And we pray that we might walk in newness of life, as newly baptized, as people who have received that gift and long to be fulfilling your call to each and every one of us. As we confess our sins today, we welcome your forgiveness. And we pray that we might continue on our way as new creations. And as we have heard in Isaiah 42, uh, we pray for those in our midst who might be struggling, uh, for the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks. And we would uh, reach out in our prayers and that would prompt our, our care in other ways to pray for their their health and well-being. We mentioned today Cheryl, and Corinne and Nancy, Mary and David, and Steve, Jan, Ari's mother, Evelyn, Dave and Joyce. You know their situations and, and we know partially their situations too, how, how health and strength have have come into uh, each of these lives. And we pray for your sustaining presence in those situations that continue to be times of struggle and suffering. We thank you for your Messiah, your anointed one, who came with suffering love to enter into our shoes, our difficulties, especially in suffering, and find that you are faithful and good and that you sustain us through those kinds of 
troubles. We pray for our nation, nations of the world. We pray for leaders. Uh, we pray for uh, times and places of, of tension. And we, we pray that your baptized people uh, might be peacemakers. Uh, they might be uh, light uh, to their situations. That they might be able to be in each other's shoes and understand the kind of difficulties and also the kind of perspectives that sometimes afflict us all. We pray that we would turn to you currently and constantly for your guiding light upon our path. We pray for the ministries of the church. We pray for events as they unfold this week. May we we be alert. May we be awakened to your own anointing, your call upon us to serve as Christ. I pray these things in his name, for his glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Arise, shine, your light is